This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, it all comes down to one game. We couldn't have planned it any better. Rochester made the necessary adjustments in game two to force a deciding game three. Matt Vince was that much better than Evan Kirk. The San Diego Seals won the coin toss and will pick first in the entry draft. And the Rush's Matt Hossick joins the show. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner, and yes, indeed, we are going back to Saskatoon, a song that is as old as my brother that was running back to Saskatoon by the Guess Who, a wonderful Canadian band. Shout out to Graham Perro for not only knowing the song, but also being old enough to make the reference, that we indeed are going back to the heart of the prairies. The Rush and the Nighthawks will go one more time as the 2017-2018 season goes the distance. And I'm pretty sure it's what everybody wants. I know two people especially that are extremely happy that it's going three games, and that is the parents of Graham and Matthew Hossack, um, the younger, Duhas, Matt Hossack, will join us in the show in a little bit um, when I asked him who he thinks his mother is cheering for. He gave quite the apropos mother answer before saying that he's pretty sure she just wanted a game three. So win-win for everybody. Um, it's going to be a tough go for both the parents of the Hossacks and the Dawsons as the two brothers go head-to-head. And we get ourselves a game three. In Saskatoon, in front of what should be a jam-packed crowd at Sasktel Center, if you're in the hood, check it out because it's going to be a good one. This is the fifth time that these two teams will have played. Rochester holds a 3-1 advantage. It's kind of like the Caps going into Vegas. Trying to win one more. And two weeks ago, I said, I don't think a lot of people are giving the Rochester Nighthawks a lot of credit, A, and B, much of a chance in this series. And I went back and talked to many of the people I spoke with before game one, just trying to get their thoughts on who they thought would win this series. And while many said, it's over and two, the rush win. There were a few who thought that this was going to go three, and yet the rush would still win. However, funny how the mind works just two short weeks later. Going back to some of those people, there were some who flipped sides and think, well, you know what? Rochester's won three of four. They continue to put the seed of doubt within the minds of the rush players, and they think that the rush can now pull this off. If Matt Vince can play the way that he did in game two, there is no doubt in my mind 
that the Nighthawks can indeed pull this off. I'm still not quite there yet. I'm not quite there yet. Maybe by the time Game 3 comes around Saturday night, I may have flipped. But as of right now, I'm still riding the rush train. I just think at home, with that crowd, they can gain the momentum that they need. I just think it's too much of a task for the Nighthawks to climb. But then again, I've been wrong many a time on this show. So we'll have to wait and see. Game two went on Saturday down in Rochester at the BCA, the Blue Cross. And the big difference for me was the second and third quarters. And that's usually where the rush tend to dominate teams, especially in the second. But for some reason, it was Rochester that went on the run in that second quarter, outscoring Saskatchewan 5-1. to one. The lone goal from the rush, a Ben McIntosh marker from Shatler at 942. But that was in and amongst goals from Shanks, Courier twice, Jamison, and Vitarelli. And what a game from Josh Courier. His best game in the National Lacrosse League. His best game. A six-point effort, four goals, two assists, and was incredible all game long. The rush didn't have an answer for him. Whether he was coming at them with speed, whether he was shooting from the outside or finding loose balls, he was the best Nighthawk player that wasn't named Matt Vince. Because Matt Vince took his game to another level as we all expected that he would, including a 16-save performance in the fourth quarter. 16 of his 47 that he made that night, only giving up eight. At the other end, Evan Kirk was playing a very high level of lacrosse, but just not as high level as Matt Vince. Kirky made 40 saves on 52 shots, but it wasn't enough. There were a few other adjustments that the Nighthawks made that I think was a couple difference makers in that game. Obviously, staying out of the box was huge. They only took two minors. Saskatchewan went one for two. Now, they went 0 for 5 on their own power play, uh, which could have really blown this game open, but I'm not too concerned about that right now. One for two, they're staying out of the box. They're not allowing Saskatchewan to be effective with the man advantage. Of course, saying this after they went 0 for 7 in game, or 1 for 7 in game one, 1 for 2 is not that bad. We talked about Matt Vince and his competitiveness and his consistency in between the pipes in that game. And also at the same time, the point that we focused on two we- or last week on the show was that he kept his wits about him. There weren't many occasions, if at all, in that game where Matt Vince was mad at somebody pointing fingers or losing his cool. He was very even-tempered that game. And like we said, when he can keep himself within the game and not go over the line of intensity, there aren't many better than Matt Vince. We talked about their work on the special teams. Once again, Jake Withers was a beast at the dot. He went 16 for 22 and had 14 loose balls to lead everybody on the floor. We didn't see Sid Smith, so the Rochester defense had to make adjustments within their group, and they just talked more. 
They communicated better. They slid better. They matched up better with that potent rush offense. Jeff Shatler was really the only offensive player to be able to get some traction and go off in that game. A seven-point night. The next closest guy was Matthews and Ben McIntosh, who each had four. But no goals from Dinsdale and Matthews in that offense sort of struggled. They didn't have the flow that they did in game one at home. Side note, did everybody see the floater pass that Mark Matthews gave to Shatler on that one goal? Put it to a spot. And Shatler went up and grabbed it and dunked it past Matt Vince. That was a thing of beauty. Not as a thing of beauty as the goal from Graham Hosick, which was one of the filthiest bounce shots that I may have ever seen. On the run, in transition, with a guy trailing you, you shoot a three-quarter low bouncer that bounces in front of the crease and goes top corner. Like, physically, that shouldn't be possible to get a ball to go from that launch angle to that high. And somehow, Graham Hosick did it and sniped top corner. And that's just kind of the way the game went for the rush. Everything that worked for them in game one started working for the Nighthawks in game two. Saskatchewan didn't get the bounces. The Nighthawks did. And at the end of the day, when the bounces go your way, you're generally going to win. And so as we get ready for game three, it's going to be those little things that decide this thing. It's going to be the mini runs. It's going to be the sustained pressure. It's going to be the loose ball battles that are going to decide this game. The winning team so far in this series has won the loose ball battle in both games. Rochester had a 90-81 to 81 advantage in game two. In game one, it was an 80-55 to 55 advantage for the rush. That seems a little skewed. However, I'm going to go with it. Now it's just down to one game. And you can look at all the scouting tape and all the game film and all your game reports that you have. You can put in your plays. You can set up your systems. You can have your game plan. But A, you better be ready to change it on the fly if things go awry. And that's where the chess match between Keenan and Hazen has come into play because we've seen them both do it. But B, you're just going to have to play the best 60 minutes of your career. There is no tomorrow. The National Lacrosse League season ends Saturday night. So you might as well leave it all out there on the turf. Sacrifice your body any way and every way you can. And do whatever it takes to help your team win the final game of the season. Because that's the goal for everybody. Every team, when they start the season, their goal is to be standing there at the end of the year having won the final game of the year. And these two teams will get a chance at that in Toontown. Now, if you're watching the broadcast online, you would have noticed that at halftime there was a very special ceremony 
at center floor of the BCA, Tyson Geick, Nick Sakevich, Patrick Merrill, and newly appointed assistant general manager of the Philadelphia Wings, Landon Miller, were all out on the floor for the ceremonial coin toss. This is not really ceremonial, but the coin toss for the right to pick first in the entry or expansion draft for our two newest clubs, the Seals and the Wings. The anticipation was palpable. The tension was brimming to the roof. Everybody was excited to figure out who would win and what their pick would be. And the NLL Productions, Tyson Geick, was on the field, and he made the official call. The coin has been flipped. The winner is the San Diego Seals. Patrick Merrill, congratulations. Have you given any thought to who you're going to select with this first pick? No, it's uh, going to be a very deep draft, and there's a lot of great choices at the top of that list. And uh, we're just looking for someone that's going to be a great fit for our team, uh, our fans, and our, and our city in San Diego. We're excited. So is it going to be first pick in the expansion draft or first pick in the entry draft? It's going to be in the entry draft. Absolutely, to nobody's surprise, Patrick Merrill and the Seals will take first overall in the entry draft, and that means that the Wings get first overall pick in the expansion draft. So now both teams can kind of start to plan their summers. And for Patrick Merrill... I pretty much think it's going to come down to three guys. Uh, Connor Robinson, Chris Cloutier, and if he declares and everybody is believing that he will, Austin stops. And with Patrick's relationship with Austin Stotts and the Six Nations Arrows, that has to be a very strong connection. However, Landon Miller also has a strong connection to the Arrows, so he may want to get Austin Stotts. And as one lacrosse player tweeted at me and asked me about, was maybe, just maybe, if Stotts does pull out and enter the draft, maybe the Georgia Swarm package up a whole bunch of picks to try to get that number one overall. Regardless, I think it's going to be a very interesting summer. And the Seals have a lot of work to do to try to figure out Who's going to be that cornerstone, that franchise guy, the one that will go down as the first ever number one overall pick from Steve Govett, let alone the Seals. And it's going to be a very important pick. Now, I don't think that this is kind of like drafting a Connor McDavid or a Sidney Crosby type player um, where they truly are going to be a cornerstone. I think these guys will be extremely important to teams. I just don't know if either of those three guys are, say, you know, a true franchise piece. All will dominate and have incredible careers, but you're more likely to to grab a cornerstone guy out of the entry, sorry, the expansion draft than the entry draft. Now, unfortunately, there's not going to be too many cornerstone guys in the expansion draft either, but... Whoever goes number one, the Wings are going to be happy with that number two, and the Bandits will most likely be happy with that number three. Because remember, Buffalo has Vancouver's first overall pick going back to the Rory Smith trade, so the Bandits sit at three and four. 
And while it may not be the deepest draft, there are some high-level talent, and there are some great left-handers in that group as well. And we all know how rare top-scoring lefties are. So both teams, and every team really, has to do their due diligence while going through this draft class because there are some gems, there are some bona fide studs and stars, and there are probably some you know, needles in the haystack that people are going to have to dig through and try and find, and, and maybe they can find a sixth-round Dan Dawson or a seventh-round Jordan Gillis. You never know what's out there. But with that number one overall pick, obviously the Seals aren't going to make that apparent until right until the deadline and right till the end, right till draft day. And so it all, all of the following picks hangs in the balance with whatever they do. And so that kind of makes it a little bit harder for Philadelphia and a little bit harder for everyone that follows because you just kind of have to hope that the Seals don't take the guy you want. But when it comes to the expansion draft, that's a whole nother ball of wax because we're not going to know those list of players until July 2nd. Uh, I wouldn't expect the expansion draft to happen too much longer after that. Obviously, the league will want to give teams the time to talk to the players or see who's on those lists, to see who's a free agent or UFA and what their contract status is and all that stuff. So just like the entry draft, there's going to be due diligence done by both teams for that expansion draft. And until then, you just don't know who's going to be available, who you can pick. But with the entry draft, you can now start to build. You can start going through the list of entry list players And if you want a true breakdown of everything draft-related, go to swarmitup.com. It is the best resource for National Lacrosse League draft picks and past drafts that is out there. Swarmitup.com, click on the NLL Draft tab, and then you'll be able to find everything you need. Swarmitup.com backslash swarmdrafts.htm. You have drafts from 2004 and then setting up drafts all the way through 2021. Corporal does an incredible job with all of his updating and just keeps everything straightforward and breaks down how each team got the trades and where picks are going back and forth. So um, that's the resource I use. And again, if you want anything from it, that's the place to go when you're looking for draft stuff. Or if you want to just go back and check out some Old Minnesota Swarm stuff. He's got a ton of stuff there as well. So that went down at halftime. And then we got to see the rest of the game. We got to see Rochester force game three. And game three goes on Saturday from Sastel Center. NLL TV, Twitter.com is the place you can watch it if you're not in Saskatoon for it. Paul Dawson will be there. Dan Dawson will be there. Don't know if Dan will be playing. Curtis Knight might be available for the rush. And if he is, I would, wouldn't be surprised if Curtis Knight goes right back in the lineup. I just, I love me some Dan Dawson. And he is the consummate professional to play whatever role that Derek Keenum asks him to play. I'm sure he would go in net if asked. But parts of me think that Dan Dawson just brings an element to that offense that doesn't allow them to work as well as they can. It's a different cog in the system 
that kind of fits but doesn't really quite fit, and it's kind of a jar, and things just don't run straight. And if Curtis Knight is available, I think he gets back in the lineup and Dan Dawson will be the healthy scratch. And if that is the case, then we only will have one set of brothers going at it in game three, and that'll be the Hossack brothers. Port Perry, Ontario is where they hail from, and both have taken their exploits down south to the United States. Everybody knows what Graham can do and how much of a defensive beast he is for the Rochester Nighthawks. Well, Matt Hossack has slowly started to make a name for himself, and while he was an absolute stud at RIT, he's a very quiet-mannered defenseman. Walk softly, carry a big stick, as the old saying goes. But like his brother, when he gets a chance, he knows how to bury the ball. Pitarelli stopped Kirk. Looked like it snuck through, but not the case. Here comes Jeremy Thompson. Feeding left, and the score, Matt Hossick. The defenseman coming up big. How many times do we see that in lacrosse? You see a scoring chance at one end. Bitterelli, I believe it got the post, but we'll give Kirk the credit, and the ball comes up the floor in the fast break. Thompson finds the younger Hossick, who puts it in. You can find him on Twitter, du underscore Haas42. He is Matt Hossick, one of the best young defenders in the game of lacrosse coming up through the ranks. And he has some shoes to fill as his big brother has made a Hossick name a household name in the National Lacrosse League. But the younger doesn't worry too much about being in big brother's shadow. He comes in. He just does his game the way he knows how, the way he always has, physical, tenacious, level-headed. When I caught up with him, he wasn't in Port Perry, so I tried to figure out where he was and what he was doing there. Right now I'm in uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, started a, a full-time job about uh, six, six, seven weeks ago, so nice. I've been uh, living down here since then. So. Are you uh, making friends with the Cobblestone Bar, a local bandit's haunt yet? Uh, I haven't, haven't quite had time uh, <laughs> to enjoy too much yet. I think I've only had uh, one one weekend so far, actually, in Buffalo with, with nothing going on. So um, lots, of, lots of stuff, busy, busy right now. So what kind of work takes you down to Buffalo? Um, so I, I went to school for engineering and then... Yep. Uh, I took a manufacturing engineer position. That's pretty awesome. So day-to-day, Monday to Friday, is pretty hands-on and, and technical, or are you working with computers? A uh, little bit of both. Little bit yeah. both. Nice, man. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So let's, uh, let's go 90 minutes east, Rochester, game two. Uh, obviously not the outcome that you guys wanted, a 13-8 loss to a desperate Rochester team. What do you think was the biggest difference between game one and game two for you guys? Um, I mean, I, 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 thought, I thought the big difference for, for them anyways, I thought Vino had a, a great game. That was, mm-hmm. that was probably the biggest difference. I don't think we were hitting our uh, 
hitting hitting some of those shots we were we were hitting in that first game, and uh, um, that's probably due to Vino Vino playing playing a little bit better than he he, he was in the first game. So, um, I mean, other than that, like uh, we 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 made a, a few adjustments to our to our game plan, and then, and looked at some of the mistakes we made in game one, and tried to um, correct those. Um, as as best we could, and uh, I mean, obviously we're playing a, a desperate team, so they, they we knew it was going to be a tough game. Uh, we knew it wasn't going to be easy, and and obviously uh, we came out the, the wrong end of game two, but um, game three should be a good one. Uh, I read somewhere you had a quote. Uh, one of your favorite mottos was "Make your biggest strength your greatest weakness." Your greatest, your biggest weakness that make it your greatest strength. What do you think the Russia's greatest weakness? Is right now going into Game Three. Greatest weakness. Um, it's a hard question, actually. <laughs> That's it why we is. got you. Right? <laughs> no, I, 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 I do think I remember that quote actually saying that, and I, I do believe in that. And like, if you got a weakness, you, you wanna, you wanna find that weakness yourself. Um, I mean, otherwise, others will find that weakness. Um, so, and and take advantage of it. So, Zora, I won't put you too much on the spot, so we don't want to give Rochester too many giveaways, right? We don't yeah, want to miss this. Yeah, we don't want to give him too much locker board material, right? Yeah, that's 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 kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> I, I, if I'm going, if I'm going to go on a weakness, it's going to be super. It's going to be super nitpicky and, and yeah. stuff like that. It's, it's game film type stuff that we that we go over all the time. So yeah. What was the message from from Jammer after the game, uh, of knowing that you know you could have wrapped things up, but now you have to come back for Game Three? What was the message from Coach? Um, it was it was kind of just a quick recap of the game. He goes, it, he just kind of said it wasn't um, wasn't wasn't our best our best night, obviously performance wise. I don't think we we executed obviously as well, um, kind of in, in in all areas as as well as we wanted to. Yeah. Um that that happens sometimes day to day and that's just a, a sport of the cross. You gotta you gotta be able to execute. Um I thought our effort was there. We played we played hard the whole night and um he had nothing to, to complain with, with that. But uh message going forward is we just we're gonna have to be better game three. That's that's the bottom line. Do you need a couple uh bigger pre game pep talks from Kyle Rubish, maybe to get the boys fired up? Uh yeah, you'll 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 say a few words and and get the guys going. That's for sure. Who's the who's the biggest vocal leader in that locker room for you guys? Because you are a, a team that's been together. I know that you're just sort of fresh onto the scene, but this is a team that's been together uh, for quite some time. So there are some veterans in that locker room. But who's probably the biggest vocal leader for you guys? Um, in in terms of speaking to the in, entire team. On uh, a vocal level, Chris Chris Corbeil and and Delphi and the the rest of our captains, Mark and Mark and Benny and those guys, so speak up the most, I think. But uh, guys guys speak up when they they feel that the time is needed. I think all of our guys have uh, some really good uh, leadership leadership aspects to their character and and that sort of thing. I mean, I'm always I'm always talking to. Kyle Rubish both stuff and um that sort of thing. So that that's the other type of vocal leadership we get from guys in terms of um talking about plays, uh 
in practice and and what we do in certain situations. So um, we get a lot of it from definitely from all those freshman guys, but uh, definitely that leadership group there is does a lot. Absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest differences I noticed in game two was uh, this rush club has always been so good uh, second and third quarters, getting teams when they're tired going into the half and then when they're kind of fresh coming out of the half where they may not be as focused. Unfortunately, in game two, you guys were outscored 7-2 in the second and third quarters. How do you guys tighten that up? Because that's where you won the game in game one coming into game three. Yeah, um, usually we were Usually we're pretty good in the second quarters. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'll, I'm, I'll disagree with you, I guess, on the third quarter. We haven't always <laughs> been. I think I think third quarter we we tend to usually have a slump, and that was that was different in uh, game one. We came out um, with a lot of energy. Right. And uh, we, we've been that's something we've been trying to, to do lately because we noticed it ourselves that our third quarter wasn't um, as good. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It's, I mean, it's trying to play a complete 60 minutes. Um, you want to be consistent throughout the game. You don't want to have too many um, ups and downs. But uh, at the same time, lacrosse is, as they say, it's the game of runs, right? So Absolutely. Um, sometimes it just goes your way. Um, it's just a matter of weathering the storm and, and making the most of, of opportunities that you get and, and trying to limit errors. One of the tweets that, that was kind of put out there today is there's two sets of brothers in the National Lacrosse League Finals, uh, yourself and Brother Graham, along with Dan and Paul Dawson. How fun is it for you uh, to be going head-to-head uh, with your brother? Uh, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily get to play directly against them the whole time, but it's, yeah. um, it's, a, it's a fun little uh, – it'll be like – It'll definitely be something we uh, we talk about later on at uh, at uh, family dinners and stuff like Absolutely. that, and and holidays and stuff. So um, it's it's definitely cool to be able to experience, I guess, uh, something like this with my brother. I mean, doing it from opposite sides, um, we <laughs> we both obviously want to win, and but uh, only one will. So it's uh, it'll be fun. Obviously, like you said, you usually don't play against each other, but there's the odd time maybe coming on or off the floor you cross paths. Have there ever been a, a chop or two? Uh, not really. We're not. Um, I mean, we don't we don't usually chop too much or give <laughs> too much of that, get too much into the extra stuff, anyways. Yeah. But uh, uh, guys are. Uh, I know I had some 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 work friends that were pointing out some some very very odd similarities about what we do when we're we're getting ready for the game. Oh yeah. That we, guys, they were pointing out that we both we both stand pretty still when we're we're listening to the national anthem and stuff, and um, most pretty much every other guy's jumping around or swaying or something like that. Right. And there's there's me and Graham are pretty much pretty much dead still, so um, trying to get focused, trying to get in the zone. So, um, but. We line up a couple of times um, beside each other on our face-offs, and when when the loose ball ensues, there's a little bit of a bumping and stuff, but there's no like uh, there's that type of brotherly love. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no there's, there's no chops like your Evans brothers or anything like that. Yeah, nothing like that. <laughs> um, what do you like about uh, Graham's game? Obviously, being the younger brother, you, you probably watched him a lot. 
uh, as a younger kid. I know I did with my brother. He's seven years older than me, so there's a big difference. But you guys are quite close together. What do you like um, about Graham's game that makes him so dominant? Um, I mean, obviously, being the, the little brother, my favorite thing, that's probably the thing I like most is that he's, he's well, he's bigger than me, so, um, but I can't do a whole lot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To match, to match the size, I mean, I'm, I'm physically what I, what I am, um, but, uh, I, I think his consistency is, um, uh, definitely one of the, the biggest things that's, that makes him what he, what he is. He's, you you know what you're getting on a on a day to day basis with him. So it's it's the same same effort all the time and uh same performance. You don't you don't see too many ups and downs from him. You guys don't often get to play together, but how much fun is it when you guys do? Oh, it's uh it's it's nice. It's uh it's definitely convenient because we we don't uh we don't necessarily need to talk a lot, but. Uh, when we're playing on on defense together, it's it's more of kind of just having a good idea of wh- what each other uh, wh- what we're thinking at the same mm-hmm. time. So uh, we we know how we how each other reacts for the most part, having been around each other so much, and um, so it's it's definitely easier in in that respect because you can predict what what he's going to do um, in terms of making my next move and, and reacting. So. Who do you think your mom's cheering for on Saturday? I don't know. They won't tell us. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a perfect bomb answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were, I think they were hoping for game three. That's what they kept saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they got it now. So <laughs> now they have to make a decision, right? Yeah. They have to make a decision. Uh, you guys have worked all year for game three. How important is it um, to have home floor advantage and have 16, 15, 16,000 fans on your side come Saturday night? Uh, it's huge for us. I mean, um, this is this is kind of the exact scenario we wanted. That's why we our goal was to be um, first overall um, in the regular season stuff was to, to get this. This is one of our goals. Yeah, and uh, that's that's why we do this. So we got the home floor advantage, and um, with the uh, rush rush nation, rush nation there is definitely uh, um, a comfort, and and definitely nice having that that kind of support um, behind you in a, a big game like this. How, how fun is it to play in front of those fans? Because I've I've witnessed it from the stands. Um, it's got to be pretty awesome on the floor. Yeah, it's it's. Pretty awesome. I've I've had the opportunity to play in like NC2A finals and stuff like that and um, big venues, but there's still nothing quite as loud as um, what it gets in Saskatchewan. It's it's pretty deafening. Like that. you're we're screaming at each other um, just to try and talk to each other on the bench. So um, it's pretty awesome. You mentioned your uh, D3 st- program down at RIT. Uh, you had an incredible career there. Um, what was it like to play under Jake Kuhn, who is a Rochester local legend? Uh, it was pretty awesome. I I enjoyed a lot, and I, I learned a lot. And um, I, I liked doing it so much, I decided that, <laughs> that 
help out for uh, a year and help coach and try and learn a little bit more from from what those guys do. And I felt that it helped my my own game personally in terms of um, improving communication and, and things like that. So, um, but it's uh, Jake's uh, definitely he's a special coach, and um, those guys will have uh, a lot of great years in front of them. So. Uh, Cooner is a fantastic X's and O's and technical coach. How would you describe uh, little Sean Wilkins? Wilkie? Well, okay. <laughs> isn't, he, isn't he the absolute best? Oh, yeah. He's uh, <laughs> he's one of the great uh, – he's, uh, he's, a, he's a mastermind in terms of what he does with his offense. I mean, he can – he seems to always call the right plays at the right times, and, and, and he's got a lot of – a lot, of, a lot of aces up his sleeves, that's for sure. So he's got something in back pocket. Yeah, he was with us in Rochester when I was on the Nighthawks, and he is an absolute fireball, and the guy just loves lacrosse. And I got the chance to see him when you guys played – or when Rochester played Colorado at Alumni Night, and he was raving about your guys' program. How how nice has it been to see this RIT program flourish uh, in the last handful of years? It's, it's awesome. I mean – uh, I love seeing that that program do well, and I'm I'm sure next year will be uh, nothing nothing below expectations. So um, it's it's definitely a sense of pride being being a part of that extended family. Who's uh who's the next big RIT names that people should be looking out for? Because uh, we've got the likes of yourself and and Dan McRae that are RIT guys. Who's another name that's coming out that people should be aware of? Uh I I know uh in terms of senior senior guys in terms of next year I'd uh I'd be keeping an eye out for Kyle Killen. He's probably uh oh, yeah. pretty obvious choice. I mean he just, just won the uh Iroquois National uh player award this year, um for a outstanding player and I think he won the, the one for attack too, but he was, he had a he had a hell of a season and the other guy I'd look out for um for in terms of playing playing box next year is Eli Salama, so I think he'll uh, I think he'll have a good shot at a, a squad next uh, this coming year. Big D guy, very smart, very fast, um, makes good decisions in transition. Well, that's a good scouting report already. Appreciate that, my friend. Uh, before we let you go, what are your summer plans? Obviously, a new job in Buffalo. So, uh, you, you, do you plan to play any summer lacrosse this year? Or are you going to take some time off? Um. I won't be playing as much summer as I, I've been the last last couple uh, with uh, with Brooklyn there, but I I do plan on playing. So nice. I'll I'm going to get my uh, get my games in any which way I can. Pretty much, I'll be uh, having to do a bit of driving, but it'll it'll be worth it. There he is. That's Matt Hosick of the Saskatchewan Rush. As his team will get set to host. The Rochester Nighthawks in Game 3 of the National Lacrosse League Cup Finals Saturday from SaskTel. Now, a couple things that I took out of that interview um, and doing some just background check about Matt Hosick. And everybody knows that he went to Rochester Institute of Technology. um, But did you know how dominant he truly was there? In his final year, he was named 2016 Liberty League Defensive Player of the Year for the second straight year. He was named the U.S. ILA D3 Long Pole Midi of the Year for the second straight year. 
First team All-American, first team All-Liberty, Liberty League Tournament Most Outstanding Player for the second year in a row. I am CLA All-East Region First Team Selection, and the list goes on and on and on for four straight seasons. The kid was a dynamo. Finishing fifth all-time with 369 ground balls, second with 139 turnovers, and was one of the best long-stick middies in the country for the latter part of his time as a Tiger. And for a guy that's just six feet, he doesn't look like a very physical body, but he's athletic, he's smart with the ball, and he has just a tenacious attitude about him that makes him want the ball more than other people. And you can see that as it translates into the National Lacrosse League. Sometimes when he comes out with a loose ball, you're like, man, he wanted that more than the other guys around him. And that's just how he plays. The other th- One of the other things I liked is that he admits that he's not a dirty player. And I kind of respect that because everybody will take a chance to chop somebody at some point. A guy runs past you, he says something, you turn around, you give him a chop on the wrist. You give him a little tap on the back of the leg, maybe a little poke with the head of your stick, whatever. Everybody always has a moment where they will chop somebody. I even chopped my brother when we played House League Field Across. We never actually got a chance to play against each other, but even in House League, I would chop my brother. And Matt's like, nope, even if I see him, I probably wouldn't chop him. We're not the chopping type. And that's just so great. That just speaks to the class that the Hossicks are. Very humble, very down to earth, a little shy at times. But when they put the helmet on and they step onto the floor, there aren't too many as consistent as Matt or his brother Graham. And it's been a real treat to watch them both blossom into outstanding young men and lacrosse players since coming into the National Lacrosse League. And Matt may not win it for a few years, but he could have eventually, you know, become one of the top transition on D guys in the NLL. His brother is already there. He's going to be in the running for Defensive Player of the Year this year when the awards come out. And it's just so great to see a family bring up kids to the quality and class that the Hossack brothers are. And so thank you to Matt for giving us time to come on the show. I uh, was looking forward to get Graham on the show, but by the time I recorded this, um, he didn't get back to me. And then once he did, he said that his phone was died. I think he's just ducking me as to not give away too many secrets. Those Hossacks are rather sly. They don't like to give away too much bulletin board material. But there will be plenty of time and plenty of other shows and Uh, you can bet that Graham Hosick will be a future guest here on the OTCB podcast. So thanks to Matt for stopping by and giving us some time. Um, The other thing that I kind of took away from the interview, and it kind of relates to the whole Philadelphia Eagles Donald Trump thing, um, was that he has friends that have come up to him and said, I've noticed a similarity between him and his brother and that when the anthem is being played, they both stand very still. I was always a very active guy on the line. I often would be made fun of for some of my antics of, you know, squeaking my shoes and slapping my back pad 
and everybody's different. But the Hasek, you know, brothers, they just kind of stand still. So just class guys all around. I love me the Hasek brothers. They are just two really, really good dudes. Um, and I wish them both good luck this weekend in the championship final because uh, you never want to see anybody lose. But someone's got to win. And it kind of goes back to the question when I asked him, so who's your mom cheering for? And he says she wouldn't tell us. What a mom answer, right? Like, what a mom answer. I'm not telling you. And then he admits that she was begging for a game three. So she got her wish. She'll see one of her boys lift the trophy. And it's going to be a very emotional night for the entire Hasek family. So uh, that's always a cool little sub story when brothers go head to head. Uh, It hasn't happened too much. I was trying to think of when the last time it happened, then my brain clicked in and was like, uh, dude, dummy, last year the entire Thompson brother clan was playing in the championship final. But going back to 2005, Graham Perrell couldn't find any other duos that have played each, against each other in a final. I'm sure Paul and Gary probably did at some point, um, but I can't think of any brothers that may have uh, done it in the National Cross League. I'm sure there's got to be some time previous to 2005 that it happened. I'm sure somebody will let us know when that was or who that was. But unfortunately, um, on point streak, NLL stats will only go back to 2005, so we can't really see anything further back than that. But alas, uh, the Hossicks, good dudes, brothers against brothers, always a fun time. And that just makes the storyline of Game 3 this Saturday that much cooler. Let's switch gears from the National Lacrosse League. Uh, Canadian summer season is underway. Um, Everybody is playing high-level lacrosse right now uh, at the senior ranks, whether you're in Ontario, Alberta, or BC, or anywhere in between for all you senior beers and junior beers out there making a run for the Founders and for the President's Cup. But unfortunately, once again... The lacrosse world has suffered another tragic loss as Olivia Malcolm tragically lost her life on Saturday when she was leaving a junior lacrosse game where her boyfriend was playing. She was watching it with her friend and on their way home, they stopped their vehicle to get something out of the back of the car and she and her friend were hit by a drunk driver. Olivia lost her life. The friend was in hospital. And it shook a community and a city and a lacrosse organization and a family to the bone. And it's not fair for someone at that young of age to not be able to experience life to the fullest. For someone that young to be taken away from their loved ones that early, all because somebody didn't want to take a cab home or walk home or take the bus home. This was 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. They had just been watching a lacrosse game. They were headed home, pulled over, were at the back of their vehicle, And the Jeep hit them from behind. Senseless. 
unnecessary. And I can't even imagine what the entire Malcolm family is going through at this time. Everybody around the lacrosse world mourns for Olivia and the Malcolms. I believe the BC Junior Lacrosse League has um, canceled some games or postponed some games uh, in wake of this tragedy. Uh, A GoFundMe page has been started. Uh, You can find it if you go to the GoFundMe page, gofundme.com slash omkindness is the page. Um, And they have just... $46,000 has been raised already in just four days. And I know that number will continue to rise um, as the story of Olivia gets more and more out there into the lacrosse world. So from everybody here at the podcast, uh, from my family, uh, everybody in the lacrosse world sends our condolences to the entire Malcolm family, to the Delta Lacrosse family, to the New S Lacrosse family. And we wish you the strength and courage as you go through this incredibly, incredibly difficult time. A couple more minutes left here on the show. Um, if you weren't paying attention to the Western Lacrosse Association this weekend, you missed quite the story. And this is. Uh, what we'll end on here tonight uh, on the show. The Victoria Shamrocks played Saturday night against the Nanaimo Timmerman in an island rivalry game. Uh, the Timmerman knocking off their bigger brother from down south um, in what was probably one of their best played games I've seen them play in quite a few years. But in that game, Victoria Shamrocks starting goaltender Cody Hagedorn picked up a knock and was unable to play Sunday against the Bellies. So, I figured that Cody Cook, who's been their backup while Adam Shute is away, uh, would get the start. They maybe call up a kid from uh, the Victoria Shamrock Junior Club, and they'd go on from there. Well, the Junior Shamrocks were in action. They had a game. On Saturday, the Junior Shamrocks also had a game, and they played the Coquitlam Adnacks. Calls were made. People were talked to. And lo and behold, Sunday, Christian Del Bianco got his first Western Lacrosse Association start as a member of the Victoria Shamrocks. That's right. The Coquitlam Junior A goaltender played for the Victoria Senior A Shamrocks. Now, once this news came out, everybody was up in arms. How can this happen? Why would they do that? Who let this happen? What is going on? My dad even said, I didn't even know we drafted Christian Del Bianco. Easy, dad. The tank for CDB is happening, but it hasn't happened that quickly. But for everybody's knowledge, until the roster deadline, which is, I believe, June 30th or 31st, whichever, however many days are in June, by the time you get to July 1st, your roster is frozen. And that is at the time where you have to also, I believe, declare who you're affiliating with as a senior club. Which junior team are you going to be able to pull players up from as the playoffs and the season goes on? And once you have have affiliated with a team, then you're able to pull players from that team up as much as you want. But until that time, you can pull up players from any 
junior organization that will allow it. You literally just have to pick up a phone, call a team, and say, hey, we would like Christian Del Bianco to play for us. Is he available? And if the Quitlam Adnacks say, or the junior Adnacks, sorry, if they say, yes, he is, couple pieces of paper assigned, boom, he's done. He's on your team for a night. I never saw it coming. I was giddy with excitement when I found out the news. And I'm sure a lot of Victoria Lacrosse fans were excited about the news. Unfortunately, it didn't go the way Christian Del Bianco had hoped his first start in the WLA would go as the Salmon Bellies would knock off the Shamrocks 9-8 in a classic lacrosse game between those two clubs. But all in all, Delves played a wonderful lacrosse game. I was getting texts all night long from people who had never really seen him play because they don't watch a lot of junior lacrosse or may not subscribe to NLL TV so they can see all the NLL games. They were raving over Christian Del Bianco. His athleticism, his style of play, his ability to get up and off the floor, to get up and down, or just to start breaks by picking up loose balls. His ability to throw the ball. I don't know if we'll ever see Christian Del Bianco in a Victoria Shamrocks jersey again. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that it happens next year or maybe once or twice again down the road. But according to Chris Welch, the Shamrocks general manager, this was something that Christian wanted. He wanted a chance to play for Victoria. He wanted a chance to be a Shamrock goaltender. Now, it could be because he wanted to play on the island in front of a big crowd. It could be because he's a huge Bob Hayes fan. I don't know. I don't know why or where that want comes from. But kudos to the Adnax for letting it happen. Um, because it is a very odd situation. But what an opportunity for the young man uh, to get a chance to play for the Shamrocks in Victoria against the Salmon Bellies. Um, again, he would have loved to have picked up the win, but unfortunately it just didn't go his way. But he made, I think, 47, no, 52 saves, I think, on the night. Like, that's a busy night. There were 117 shots, I think, in that game. And he stopped half of them. Alex Bouquet was stellar at the other end, too. It was a great goaltender's duel. And, unfortunately for Victoria, it just didn't go their way. So, um, New West sits atop of the West at 3-0. Players are slowly starting to come back to rosters. Uh, Teams all had to submit their starting lineup slash rosters a couple weeks ago or earlier in the week, I believe. So, what they have now is kind of what they're running with for the next little while. Uh, You may see some teams try and pull some guys out um, just to get some more bodies. But as of right now, unless they're playing uh, in the NLL finals, teams are at where they're at. And then again, the deadline will be uh, at the start of July, end of June. And that's where we're at. Thanks to Matt Hossick for stopping by. Thank you to you, the loyal and avid listener here of the show. Again, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can at off the crossbar, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Jay Alter, 
and Brian Shanahan will have the call from Sastel Center this Saturday. Game three of the NLL Cup Finals. One game to decide it all. And Nick Sakevich will either be handing it to Chris Corbeil or to Sid Smith. But that's if he's playing. If not, he'll probably come out and accept it anyway. The season comes down to one game. It is almost over. We have four quarters, maybe if we're lucky, a little bit overtime until we crown a champion. Will it be a dramatic finish like last year? Or will one of these two teams take control of game three and not relinquish it? Watch for Matt Vince and Evan Kirk to stand up and play their best games of the year. Offense and defense will be on display as we get set to crown a champion. One game to decide it all. Winner takes all. Let's have some fun. Take a friend to a game. Take a friend. Take two. Until next time, be excellent to each other. I am-